What's up, Internet? Welcome to another special bonus session of Super GG Radio. Last week, we spoke with Martin Narikar, the primary developer force behind the recently released single-player deck-building strategy game, Nowhere Profit. Getty and I had a lot of fun playing the beta, so we thought it'd be fun to sit down and chat with him, and we got to talk about his influences with making the game, what he feels like he'd do to add to the game if he had the time or resources available, a little bit about what he's been playing as well. It was a good conversation, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing it. The audio did get a spotty at the end, so we're going to go ahead and plug his wares now. Uh, Martin himself can be found at his Twitter username, mnerikar. Uh, the game's Twitter page is at Nowhere Profit, and there is also a Nowhere Profit Discord you can join for more information. Just one last thing here, if you give his name a shot and like what you play, do us a favor and take a moment to leave a positive review on Steam. A lot of things that indie developers have challenges with are people who enjoyed the game bothering to leave positive reviews after the fact, and like a lot of other industries where there's a customer, it's usually the ones who have complaints that complain a little louder. So uh, yeah, if you could do that, that'd be great. Lord knows I did. You should do the same. Anyway, I won't keep you any further, but uh, here's the interview. Thanks. What's up, Internet, and welcome to Super GG Radio. This is a bonus session. My name is Joel DeWitt. I'll be your interim host here. With me, as always, as well, is co-host Eric Getty Dettinger. Hey, Getty. Hey. And also with us this week is from Shark Bomb Studios, who are the developers behind the recent release Nowhere Profit, Martin Nerukar. Hi, Martin. Hey. What's up? Thanks so much for joining us this week. Uh, no problem. Uh, so happy first, to be here. Yeah, yeah, we're happy you could make time to talk with us. So uh, I guess to start with, could you maybe just give us a little bit of information about yourself, maybe a little bit of your background, what brought you into video game development? Okay, how far back do you want me to go? Because I can talk for like <laughs> 10 minutes on this. <laughs> However comfortable you are to talk, <laughs> do you go right ahead. All right, All right. Uh, I'll start with the cliff notes then. Uh, hi, I'm Martin. I'm a game developer from Germany. I've been, oh god, I've been making games forever. Like, I remember um, making games as like a six-year-old on the Commodore 64 of my parents. Oh, wow. <laughs> or rather, trying to. They weren't really working, but it was still sort of me trying to build something together. Uh, I distinctly remember having like a sprite of a, of a hot air balloon traveling up across the screen and feeling like I've accomplished something massive. Um, that's, that's one of my early memories. I have a lot of board games from that time too, like shitty move around the board, roll a die, something happens, draw a card kind of board games. But ones but you made yourself. Making games has always been part of me. And then sort of in school, I did a lot of modding, uh, Quake 1, Quake 2, um, some Unreal stuff. So I was always sort of busy making games, ended up getting a uh, degree in architecture, was done with that and was like, ah, fuck it, I want to make games. And so <laughs> I went and made games. Now I'm still making them 10 years later. That, that's fantastic. It uh, sounds like you've had this sort of hardwired in yourself for a long time then. So there's, what is it about games making that is compelling to you, I guess? That's, that's really difficult because it's always been there for me. 
Like it's like it was it was weird for me finding out that not everybody has this sort of very overt passion that they're aware of and that they're sort of working on. Mm-hmm. Because it, I always knew I wanted to make games. I always loved games. I spent a lot of my life playing role playing games and playing video games and playing board games and card games. It's like I played Magic twenty five years ago. Oh so man. I don't know. Games have always been there. I've I've gotten back into Paper Magic like a year ago, and I I love it to bits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's still such a great game. Have but you... no, games have always been there. So I I just love the medium. Like on an intellectual level, I love the sort of the player choice and what it brings to to the to to what's happening. Like I'm I'm not making something linear and then just you know people press play, but right. I'm making something people can can interact with. Because I I don't know I'm just there's this cheesy line on my personal portfolio that says I love people which is super super boring, <laughs> but at the heart that that's kind of what it is. Like the best part about making games is making games with people, like having creative moments and sort of sitting together and going like, oh, what about this? Oh no! And then if we do this and then this and then sort of the idea goes back and forth and around for like twelve, twenty, forty iterations, and in the end, it, nobody knows whose idea it was because it doesn't matter. But it's just so dang good. And these are sort of the moments I live for which is sort of probably something we'll touch on later in the interview, which is one of the reasons why making No Web Profit was so fucking hard. Sorry for the swearing. It's going to happen a bunch of times, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, go um, ahead. was so fucking hard for me because I did <laughs> most of it by myself, which was a terrible idea, by the way. Oh, oh, wow. So you're saying that for No Web Profit, uh, you had a good portion of it that you were developing solo? I mean, No Web Profit took about five years to make, give or take, depending on how you sort of look at it. From the first prototypes in May 2014 to now. Okay. And I'm the only full-time developer on it. Like, I do everything. Um, I have a bunch of people that help, but all of them have been freelancers uh, or like an intern at one time. So nobody was ever in it as deep as I was, which sure. sort of takes out the sort of the, the spinning ideas around. I still have sort of colleagues or friends to do that with, but nobody's ever in the game as deep as I am able to sort of talk about the, the complex design topics when I was sort of deep in the guts of the game as much as I was, which sort of make the sort of spa, uh, creative sparring hard. Sure, I right. understand that. And it's, I want to pivot back to one thing you mentioned about how the people are at the core of what you do and in the process of making games and even playing games. And that's, I feel that's a really great point, uh, both from a any work environment, you have to work with other people and collaborate and come up with ideas but i imagine it's especially important when you're trying to create a game with rule sets and different considerations in the process of making the game but even as a player i know that i have to imagine that when you see other people playing your game you encounter people playing ways that you might not expect or consider that could even shift the way you guys focus on making changes yeah i mean i think one of the reasons why noah prophet turned out so polished like it's one of the, the sort of feedbacks i get a lot is that it just feels very very well-rounded very polished sort of in the interface and in a lot of the interactions and that's because i took the game to a lot of conventions like i was working on it for yeah, give or take five years and i spent a lot of time just shopping it around like i was showing a very very early version which has very little in common with the version we have today like half a year after i started uh, not even quite I went to Gamescom and showed an early prototype that was just the combat system, which is very different from what I have now. Mm-hmm. And so just a lot of people seeing, sort of seeing a lot of people play the game made the game better. And sort of in regards to one sort of very specific example of watching people play that, um, that changed things is uh, during the first access period. 
I had somebody uh, stream the game sort of regularly, uh, a streamer called Plaid. He's actually in the game as a unit because he ended up backing it at a higher tier because he liked it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he did in his streams is he had people um, sort of uh, throw their name into the ring. And then the follower that did the killing blow on the enemy would be renamed to that user from chat. <laughs> which is a super cool thing, which sort of came just because I had the renaming follower thing. And I liked it. I liked the idea. So I put it in. I'm still not entirely happy with how it's done interface wise, but the follower screen is so cluttered. I had to find some weird way to do it. Mm-hmm. But this sort of, I like this puzzle that sort of appeared around. Oh, no, I already have renamed this guy. I already have renamed this guy. This guy needs to do the killing blow. How do I shuffle? And so I'm doing this sort of mental gymnastics, which is a lot of what the game is about. And I really like that sort of, how can I optimize the killing blow? So this ended up becoming the blessing feature, just watching him sort of go through that. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's that's a great way that you're able to find inspiration. That's that's really cool. I, I agree with you that Nowhere Profit feels very polished. And I guess before we get deeper into it, uh, maybe you could just in your own words describe what Nowhere Profit is. Sure. This is hard without going into too many buzzwords, but I'll do the buzzword one first and then <laughs> see if I can sort of uh, extricate myself from them. Sure. Uh, Nowhere Profit is a roguelike cart tactics battle game set in a dust punk science fiction apocalypse inspired by Indian culture and aesthetics. No, yeah, I, th- I, see I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think that was perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You stuck the landing. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've I've done that a bunch of times. So sure. Um, I'm I just imagine, trying to put all the buzzwords in. Yeah, I imagine over the span of five years, you've had time to refine that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, one of the refinements is um, I take out deck building mm-hmm. as a name because while it it is very specifically a deck building game, um, or at least one one version of deck building game. It's a weird genre that isn't really known yet enough by people that don't play deck building games. Sure. Which, you know, is the people I need to communicate with. Because deck building people see the cards, see screenshots where they know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to card tactics or ta- card battle. Uh, because tactics, turn-based tactics, I understand that. That sort of makes sense to a lot of people. Like you play, you've played XCOM, you have never touched a card game. But you're like, oh, this sounds interesting. Because all the cards sort of seem to be difficult for a lot of people. Like, oh, I don't like cards games um so trying to pivot away from sort of using cards as a as a as a part of the 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 buzzwords sort of seemed to make a lot of sense to me i agree with you because in playing it i'll admit i've i've just started this week because at your release date i was uh, out of pocket from a pc but i i feel like it limits the scope of what you can see nowhere profit as by calling it a card game because even playing it the way that the the field of play is a landscape and you've got different obstacles and all your cards are actually uh, people or living beings and the way they're placed on that field it kind of obfuscates it from the card building card battling origins it comes from right and then you layer on top of it the the world building, the the narrative story that goes through it. Uh, I, I think it it really almost does a disservice if you limit yourself like that. Well, it sort of depends. You uh, putting in a genre word is is a, is a communication help, you know, mm-hmm. to tell people quickly what they can expect from this game. Like something I was called in a few reviews, which sort of never sat right with me, is I was called a spire like. Or rather, no, a prophet was called a spire-like. I'm, I'm not a spire-like. But you, you get the idea. Because obviously, Slay the Spire is sort of the big breakout deck-building game. Sure. And um, there's going to be so many clones soon. So many. Um, <laughs> there already are a bunch. Um, so 
sort of inspire like never sort of always feels a little ugh to me or when people go like inspired by say inspire because i worked on this thing like, like starting 2014 so way before anybody knew of slay the spire sure so it's sort of like i'm not inspired by slay the spire you're cheapening my creative uh, uh work here uh, but it's all fine because you know if if people write down spire like in their article mm-hmm. their readers yeah. know what's happening right it's so fine it's a common vernacular for everybody to have an understanding about what your game is. Yeah, I, yeah. I understand. It's, it's a shorthand. Right. Uh, it's, so, a shorthand can never, by definition, you know, catch the, entire, the complete complexity of the situation. It's just there to give people a quick box to put things in and go like, oh, this might be interesting or maybe not. Right. For those with the common language, it makes sense. Yeah. 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 But uh, this is sort of why I went away from the, from the deck building, because I wanted a box that sounds interesting to a lot of people. Even if they go like, oh, I'm not sure I like card games. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we know that Slay the Spire wasn't necessarily one of them, but uh, what were some of your influences when developing Nowhere Profit? I feel like a lot of them are very overt, because uh, they seem to reappear in a lot of the, the articles that write about Nowhere Profit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the obvious one is uh, Faster Than Light, which sort of I played, and it just blew me away with its roguelike mechanics that just sort of up the replay value to 11 and I, I love playing it. I never got really good at it, but I just enjoyed, uh, you know, fucking around in that world. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was sort of a big one. Um, Banner Saga also uh, inspired me a lot because I, I love the world and sort of this idea of leading a bunch of people that just felt really cool to me. Uh, so that ended up early in the in the sort of uh, design process of Noah Prophet. I was like, I want to... I want to make a game that has a cool world and you, you have to take care of a bunch of people. That was sort of very early on part of the DNA of, of what I wanted to make. Another thing sort of to credit is Dominion, the, the actual physical card deck building game, mm-hmm. which I played like 10 years ago or something. And I just it sort of opened my mind to the, the joys of deck building because I mentioned I played Magic 25 years ago. Sure. I loved it, but I was shit at deck building because deck building <laughs> sort of involved doing research and, you know, acquiring the right cards and sort of making this perfect deck that uh, uh, that becomes this weird arms race against all your friends that also build decks. And if they spend more money, it's this whole weird sh- bullshit of that, that's like that's having the money magnified yeah. all the, all the digital uh, online card games like Hearthstone. It's a wonderful game. It's like it's the it's. The gold standard for interface design in card games. A lot of cues I, I take from it just because people are so familiar with it. Like, okay, cost is in the upper left shirt. That makes sense because Hearthstone does it like that. That's other reason why it makes sense. But in Hearthstone, it's not just your friends you sort of have to arms raise your deck with. It's mm-hmm. everybody who plays. And to me, that's that makes deck building just really, really, really boring. And um, Dominion, sort of does deck building in the game. You don't, for anyone who's not familiar, you don't start with a deck. You have like a, a basic starting deck that everybody has the same. And then there's cards in sort of the middle of the uh, of the play field. And when it's your turn, you can buy cards uh, by spending stuff from your hand. And you have to put in victory points into your deck, but they don't do anything. So do you want to put in too many too early? So there's a lot of interesting ch- choices because the, the, the deck building is not this arms race out of the game. It's this part of the game and i i really really love that it should have was the first game that that showed me how deck building can be fun for me mm-hmm. so that's that's a big one there's also dream quest which i'm not sure a lot of people are familiar with it's an ios game that's been out for a long time now and i'm pretty sure it's it's 
also a deep inspiration for Slay the Spire. It's sort of an, a game designer's darling. A lot of game designers love it because uh, it's just a well-made roguelike deck building game before anybody knew what that thing was. Its visuals are just very sort of handmade by somebody who doesn't do visuals. But it's, it's just a, a darling. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Paul Whelan, who did the game, is actually the guy who does Dungeon Hearthstone runs. Uh, Dungeon runs in Hearthstone now. Okay. Uh, can you repeat that second one you just said? Uh, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the guy that made uh, a Dream Quest um, is now a designer on the Hearthstone team doing the single-player content, the dungeon runs. Oh, wow. I, actually, I, I meant the card game. <laughs> this is more for my reference than anything else. I, I wanted to... Look yeah, he wants to later. play it after we finish. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually... In, uh, sort of tying back to the, the um, inspirations. There's a bunch of achievements in the game that sort of speak to this. Like, there's one achievement called Dream Quest, and there's one achievement called Faster Than Light. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you got the, the direct hat. callbacks to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Faster Than Light because uh, our host, Alex Arona, he, uh, that was the first thing he said to us when he started playing this is, guys, the, the, the 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 heart of a lot of this is faster than light, and uh, admittedly, uh, Daddy and I have neither of us played that yet. So, I think uh, we missed out. Yeah, yeah, we we hopped on to the uh, uh, out of the reach into, into the, the breach. breach into the yes. breach, which is a fantastic game too. But, but uh, uh, that one caught fire, so it got attention to us a little quicker than uh, FTL did. Yeah, I mean FTL is old at this point. I think it's eight years old. Yeah, about I think. Yeah, and so that that's fair too. Yeah. Did you have any inspiration from Dungeons and Dragons? I know you talked a little bit about role playing or tabletop. So, oh, I, I've I've played a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons in my life. I never really was a big fan of sort of the mechanics of it. It always seemed too too sort of too far away from the the, the, the role playing parts of it. Like I really love simple mechanics mm-hmm. and simple games that step back and let us do more more of the creative sort of fun part. And I've played a lot of role-playing games. Like, I've played Dungeons & Dragons, I've played Dark Knight, Shadowrun, like, all the big ones, and a lot of the small ones nobody's ever heard of, because I've I've been playing for 25 years at this point, um, at least. And so I I don't think there's any very direct, overt inspiration, but I'm sure there's some sort of... I mean, a big part of my, my... The way my imagination works was just schooled by a lot of afternoons... Nights and weekends spent D and Ding or role playing yeah. with friends. I, I guess uh, may, maybe not from a function standpoint, but uh, admittedly, I'm the least versed here in Dungeons and Dragons. But what about from a narrative standpoint? Does the something that struck me is that Nowhere Prophet it, it mm-hmm. has a compelling story that it's trying to tell, and, and it's also kind of steeped in mystery because at the outset you're given the premise, which is kind of like a satellite of some type falls from the sky and you as the first wanderer upon it are given a message and then followers among you notice that the message sort of directs you as the leader and and you're seen as the prophet uh, admittedly i i have not gotten too far yet without uh, getting obliterated but so i haven't moved the story along that much but has there has there been any influence from a storytelling standpoint for your game well i mean sort of um, like I, I sort of as you were speaking, I remembered um, this one uh, pen and paper role playing game that sort of really struck a nerve with me and with a lot of people, which is called Apocalypse World. It's a post-apocalyptic game, and what they do, which I love in their sort of setting, is they didn't do a lot of setting. Like they leave a lot of things blank, which as I as a GM love. Like they have enough sort of hard and fast sort of parts of the, that are actually part of the game, like part of the setting, because they're part of the rules. But everything else is very flexible, sort of 
negotiate at the table. And that sort of reignited my love for sort of post-apocalypse a while back. And then when it comes to sort of designing the world of Nowhere Prophet, I knew I wanted to have a world sort of inspired by the, the world of Banazara. I wanted to have a world that's suitable for a lot of different games. Because I was, I said I was gonna, I, I'm gonna spend a lot of time making this game. Not as much as I ended up. I expected it to be done in two years. It took me five. Oh. Um, but I wanted to make this world that I could make more games in. That would have been, that would be my world that I could sort of, you know, explore things. Maybe make a uh, pen and paper game set in this world. Maybe make some sort of different genre that's sort of in this world. I think I've succeeded at this. Sort of Nowhere Prophet's world sort of stands out in a lot of what people talk about. And the art style sort of helps. The visual sort of helps cement it and sort of pull people in. So I'm thinking I actually I nailed that pretty well. I'm very happy with that. But it's sort of that's that's sort of the the the, the pen and paper inspiration. And sort of I built a world because the approach is sort of um, at this point. Then if you want a world that can hold a lot of games, that means it has to be able to hold a lot of stories. There needs to be a lot of room for different narratives in there, which sure. is what pen and paper worlds need to do. So it's sort of approached it like this. Like if I would make a world for a pen and paper game, it would be you, you know you should be able to you know play like mighty technopaths. You need to be like scavengers. There needs to be different sort of interesting settings and different factions to play with. So that's sort of where this came from. No sort of specific inspiration, but a lot of sort of of the general approach. I think. So, do you foresee yourself trying to use the same setting and world in a future project? Is that sort of what you try to keep things open ended for too? Absolutely. I'm, I, people ask what's next, and I have no clue. Uh, probably something different. But I, I, I love the world. I'm very happy with how it turned out. I, I think it sort of, if I have sort of going off topic, like I said, I'm, I'm, as we said, I'm very talkative. If there's one thing I think the game could do better, it is sort of the world and the storytelling. Mm-hmm. While I think it's compelling, it could be more crunchy, a little bit more sort of specific. It sometimes, to me, feels a little bit too vague and too general. But I, like I said, I made the world, so I have a world I can make more games in. Uh, a world that people love and go like, oh, I want another world in this, uh, another game in this world that's interesting. I want to learn more. So I definitely uh, sort of love the world and want to do more with it. And sort of the art style, just I still love it to bits. But I don't know what. Uh, it could be a straight up sort of Noah Prophet sequel or something entirely different. Or um, I don't know. It's sort of hard to say at this point. I mean, with the amount that we've been able to play so far, each time we have to restart, it definitely feels like a different story as we try and maneuver and find the right way through. Mm-hmm. So I would really do appreciate all the depth and the detail that goes into the narrative so far for how bad we played. <laughs> and, and and even beyond that, I think just the the art style and the music help create a, a such a compelling environment that even if you feel like what you put in there wasn't as crunchy let's say as you you put it here you know there's there's enough to the world that feels like a character and story in and of itself that i really appreciate yeah i think sort of i i i succeed on the world building aspect of it like i I put together the art book i don't know if you guys have have seen it and sort of pulling together the art book i asked my three artists to sort of um, write up like a bunch of text to sort of put in at the end to, to sort of show the process from their perspective and Anjan sort of the chief 
um, art guy and uh, the person I sort of came up with the art style in like the first four months of the project, he sort of wrote down, which I wasn't really aware of, but looking back sort of makes a lot of sense to me. He wrote down how much he enjoyed, how, how sort of very precise my vision was from the beginning, which I never was really was aware of uh, sort of very specifically. But looking back, it sort of makes a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the, the things you sort of feel in the game that even though sort of in five years of development, a lot of things happened. Like the games made a lot of changes. But my my vision of the world was always very, very clear. Sort of, It was always clear where it was going to go. There were a lot of particulars that sort of shifted around and sort of need to be refined. But I always had this picture, not a, sort of an actual visual picture, but the sort of idea of what the world should be. And it never changed, actually. It's, it ended up being pretty close to where I wanted it to go. And that's great. And having that kind of focus can really help other people coalesce around you and move forward in that vision, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, looking at sort of the artwork, um, I knew I wanted a world that's inspired by Indian culture, which meant for me the people needed to look different, which was always a battle when I had an artist. Like I had Anjan and uh, Casey and Czech. Uh, Casey and Jack came in later. Anjan was sort of the guy from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And artists... When they have to work quick, and we had to work quick all the time because they don't have a lot of money, they c- couldn't spend a lot of time on, on art, so it was always sort of a quick turnaround. But artists, a lot of artists, when they, when they have to work quick, is they rely on their basic patterns. They do the stuff they always do, which in all of the cases was they drew me white people, which is fine, but if every guy they send me is white, it doesn't do what I want them to, what I wanted to. So I had to sort of push back a lot on that. Sort of not because they were, there was no overt racism in this. Or like, it was just, all right, I need to do this quick. My, and then my hand does its familiar motions, which means I end up with white people. Right. Which is and, and telling and, and sad, but sort of, it, it needed me to be aware of that and push back against it. Yeah, and Daddy and I wouldn't look right in your world, I don't think. <laughs> for, yeah, no. the themes you're going for and, and the environment you created. If it, that but, was I mean, there are those white people in the game, which is yeah. fine. I just didn't want it to be too many of them. Because then it sort of would no longer be the world it, it, I wanted to go for. Right. It'd be like Hollywood, basically. Yeah. And that's because a lot of the artwork they, ha- they have to create is white people. So that's just in their muscle memory. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That I makes mean, total sense. Uh, I, I guess keeping on with the topic of sort of the themes and uh, the world that's been created, uh, obviously with the the fact that it's called Nowhere Profit and you play a character that's been sort of propped up as a prophet. Is there any direction on this based off of uh, personal views on religion or personal beliefs? Well, I, I consider myself an, an atheist agnostic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I don't believe in a God and I don't think I can prove if there's one and it doesn't matter that much i guess that's sort of where i'm at but i think spirituality and belief is really valuable to people right like regardless of whether like like somebody claiming i have the one true god and everybody believe me is a very bad idea in general uh but the the idea of sort of spirituality and faith brings a lot to human humanity there's a reason why we sort of have this propping up in sort of popping up all over the place and it sort of builds community and Nowhere Prophet is a game all about community, so that sort of makes a lot of sense. I tried not to sort of, you know, hew too closely to sort of real religions because I didn't want to make any statements of, about actual religion. I didn't want to sort of invite uh, people going off and going like, oh, you hate religion X because you <laughs> portrayed Y. 
um, sort of didn't want to invite that kind of criticism. So I tried to stay away from from sort of real world religions. Try to make something. One thing I tr- I try to do with all the religions in the game is the core premise of the of of the of the world is this is a science fiction world where technology has broken down. So all the religions sort of have to form the mythos around this critical event, this crash that destroyed all technology. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of interesting because it's an it's sort of an interesting bent to all these religions. There's a lot of, I, I, I think, it's sort of the question, this is one of the things when I go like, oh, I think the, the, the story could have been better. This is one of the things. I think um, Noah Prophet plays a lot with the theme of religion, and I think that's in- interesting and fun, but I feel I could have done it a little better in some places. Mm-hmm. Because one thing I'm I'm I, I'm not sure it's sort of hard for me to tell at this point because I worked on it by myself for five years I'm pretty much blind to the game is in a lot of places religion doesn't come off well sure like it comes off as sort of like this 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 lie that people tell themselves and um I'm, this is not something I necessarily believe like I think that can be the case and I think religion as a structure is often used as a power structure and used to sort of oppress. That just happens with a lot of hierarchies and power structures. Some asshole gets in charge and sort of breaks it for everybody else. And this is why we can't have nice things. Um, <laughs> but I don't believe that belief itself is bad. And I think that's something people may sometimes come away with from the game. Mm-hmm. That I ridicule religions and everybody who believes is stupid. And if you if you go the believer route, you always lie to people. And it's sort of that's not what I want them to get away with. Uh, sort of come away with. But um, I may fear that that may be the case. Um, it's sort of even more critical recently because there was an, an article from Vice um, about the game and they came to the conclusion that one of the factions, which is called the Union, because it's short for the Union of the Five Fingers, is a statement against unions, um, which sort of is very irksome to me because I, I'm pro-union. I think unions are good and needed, uh, sure. but because the faction is called Union and they're sort of like a fascist uh, system, it could be read if you squint, uh, as a criticism of unions, which is something I ne- doesn't, don't want anyone to sort of take away. And that's one, another one of these sort of areas where I go like, oh, maybe I've named them differently. Right. Um, you know, it, but it's just like always, you know, I always want to change Just be something. critical of the, the decision that you made. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think part, I think you're encountering what uh, comes with lots of different art forms too, is that you release your art out into the world and then people who receive your art and then whose job especially is to critique art are going to have their own personal life experience affixed to how they view and how they interact with it, which helps them build what their conclusion is. And, and I mean, it's uh, absolutely. It, and, and sort of the author's intention doesn't matter. Right. But th- that goes doubly then to make sure I communicate what I want to communicate, you know? Sure. And, and that, I feel like in a bunch of areas, this could have been better. Well, I I will say that it might be partially because I haven't gotten terribly far, but I, it's not really some of the things that I gleaned uh, in my time with it so far. Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying sort of the story or the world is shit. I'm terrible. <laughs> but if I look at the game, this is sort of the area where I sort of had to... Like I, I think, again, sort of, I'm a solo dev. I had some help with writing, but I did most of it for five years, and I had to make some compromises because I had too many hats. And I think, in hindsight, the sort of the, the the story, and not so much the world, more sort of how it's communicated in in the game, is the part where I feel I've made the most compromises. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense that the final result is bad. I think the final result is pretty good. But in the sense where I'm like, ah, dang, I wish I would have had more time to spend on. It. So I guess uh, the question I would have pertained to that is that: Do you have 
a specific, uh, I guess, more focused story that you were interested in telling? Or is that just something that you hadn't quite focused on in this case and then are thinking about now as you've got this released? No, I think the sort of the actual story you, you I tell in the game, sort of the bigger one, is what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, this is more about sort of how I tell the story and uh, sort of like specific criticism I have is um, there's a lot of text in the game mm-hmm. and a lot of it um, sort of creates flavor but doesn't do a lot. Like for in front of every fight, there's this text line. This is like a two paragraphs of text that sort of tell you what's happening. But there's only one option. So people always sort of just click and skim the text. They don't take mm. a lot out of it. So what I would have would do in hindsight is I would kill all these texts, these sort of simple texts that just lead to a fight. They don't exist. You go to the note, you get the instant fight. But you still need the context. You still want to understand these sections. So what, right. what I would replace them with would be short sort of enemy box. You start the fight and the enemy leader has like a voice line he go, or like a text bubble. He goes like, oh, I will turn you to slaves for the Raj. And then, so, oh yeah, sure, you work for the Raj, whoever that guy is, maybe I'll find out. Oh, and you're a slaver guy, you're an asshole, I'm gonna beat you. Mm-hmm. So that would be enough instead of going like, alright, here's two paragraphs of flavorful text that you don't read anyway. And then instead, spend that time on these texts, on more sort of complex interactions. Specifically, one thing I, I think the game would benefit from is if more people in your convoy would be relevant in the stories. This sort of came out of the changes I did because in the early version that was existed for like two years, uh, most of the people in your convoy were just a number. So there wasn't a lot of interaction built in the early version of the event system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point, uh, I changed the combat system and I changed the, all your units, all your followers to cards, which sort of make a lot of sense, solved other problems. One of the reasons why I sort of did this huge change in the middle of the development. And then I had to change the event system. And then that's just sort of when I built in the one of your guys comes up to you and goes like, hey, I can help you with this. But I think if you had more interaction with your followers there, if you're like, oh, I can send somebody in, who will I send in? Or if uh, there would be more event change of uh, change of people sort of coming up and building specific character. Like imagine in first map, one of your people comes up and he's like, hey, I, I have this weird backstory i'm hunted by the people of the raj because yeah let's keep talking about the raj nobody knows what i'm talking about um <laughs> and then you know you can decide and then like uh two uh two like 10 steps later he comes up again and there's this hard point decision um but this is one follow you get picked and if you kill him in a fight he's gone his story is just abor- aborted mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but that would be super cool there's just a bit of that in the game but i think more of that would be great to to humanize your convoy you could do some interesting stuff with having that guy's story sort of then intersect with a milestone there's a milestone of the raj called the ziggurat which is sort of his palace and prison and then sort of depending on when you hit the milestone because the milestone can come in the first map the second or the third have that sort of lead to different versions of the story and you see then it sort of becomes a more complex event that needs at least sort of 30 pages of text but i could you know, take out 30 of the one page, oh, this is a fight text, and have that thing in, and have like four or five of them in. So each time you play, maybe one or two of these trigger, and maybe they have some interactions with other events or with each other. And it would be this sort of complex tree that sort of builds characters out of your followers more than it does. And I think that would do a lot for the game. But oh man, I never had time to even get close to sort of concepting that. <laughs> no, it sounds like it would have taken you another five years just right. to do that. <laughs> well, not quite five, but probably one. Really? Yeah. To change well, it around that much? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it sounds like it would be a, a little bit more uh, like uh, some of the game's 
kind of like Mass Effect, where you have a, a dedicated party of people and they approach you at different times. But well, it, it wouldn't be sort of dedicated people. The game would pull out one of your followers when you start. Maybe, all right, this guy needs okay. to be a bandit. And then go like, oh, this bandit follower had some trouble with this faction, and this is a story. Or this guy is looking for his lost daughter. This is his story. And it would just pull one of your people and then give him that story. It would have to be, you know, a fitting person from your convoy, but you usually start with enough to sort of pull somebody who would work. So it's not in Mass Effect where they have, like, specific, you meet this guy with this name and he yeah. has this. It would just pull somebody from your convoy and give assign one of these sort of stories to them. Okay. And as Patty, right. uh, do you have any other questions about uh, Nowhere Prophet itself? I... I, I have to do the cheesiest thing ever and, and say, Martin, what's the easiest way for me to get to Battery Mecca? <laughs> um, you mean the one that uh, that always heals 10? Uh, to get to the end, I feel like I'm oh, just oh. trapped. Oh, um, play how, how do I progress? Play, play on Chosen. Okay. Um, don't worry if you have wounded people. Don't lose your really valuable wounded people. But don't don't always pull your wounded people out um, because they are they give you a lot of tempo because they're cheaper uh, to play in regular fights that are not sort of red node or boss fights. Have a slim convoy deck. Go with like ten to fifteen cards mm-hmm. um, because the fights are over quick allows you to get to your to the cards you need uh, more quickly, and then sort of focus around units that cost three and four because it'll give you a good starting play more likely. When it comes to leader cards, don't forget that you can remove cards from your leader deck. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important to keep your leader deck slim if you can. Look for synergies in your equipment and your cards. It's fine buying wounded followers for cheap and then just throwing them into a fight and having them die. And then just memorize the events and know what to do in which case to get the <laughs> maximum outcome, I, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, okay. That, that's all great advice. Yeah, uh, Daddy took, took my question, so. Yeah. <laughs> one, one last thing though in combat you need to keep board control if you ever lose all your followers and the enemy has three on the board it's insanely hard to come back this right. is actually something I want to sort of address with some future content that helps you mitigate that mm-hmm. um, but it's insanely hard to come back so prioritize removing followers over going face okay Okay. Uh, I guess that, that opens up one last question about Nowhere Profit I would like to ask. And if you can't answer, that's fine. But what kind of ideas are you throwing out, throwing around for future content for Nowhere Profit? Well, it sort of depends on how much future content I'm going to make. Which at this point, I, I don't know. Game The game launch was successful, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> sort of need to see how it goes and how much time I can this I, I dearly love the game and have a lot of ideas i have ideas for at least four more classes which i would love to build and let's see if i can get to that i'm not sure in sort of which context they'll, they'll exist uh, specifically currently content i want to work on is just content that uh, sort of mitigates this this really hard need for board control some cards that allow you to come back more easily that are have value if you're in the lead but that you want that have more value when you're not in the lead mm-hmm Okay. I don't know. There's ideas for new convoys. I mean, I have some artwork lying around for equipment. Sort of. But right now, I'm I'm actually first trying to to sort of work with what I have. Like one thing I'm gonna change is um, the equipment powers. Are some of them are sort of too strong, and I I would have to nerve them, which I don't want. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is I'll add an an energy cost to some of them, which allows me to do more crazy stuff. Like I can do really expensive uh, uh, sort of equipment effects that then sort of have strong impact, but 
you know, cost a lot of energy. And that sort of makes a lot of interesting decisions possible. So that's something I'll, I'll look at next. Very cool. Very cool. Some of that you might want to consider saving for nowhere profit too. <laughs> yeah, Maybe right. if, if I ever get to it. Yeah. Um, so uh, some two sort of two things in terms of convoys I had in mind, which I sort of quickly want to share is one is I want to make a convoy that starts with a cannibal tag. Hmm. <laughs> I think I see where this is going. Yeah, if you have the cannibal tag, you can no longer gain, gain altruism, but it opens up some options in some of the events. Not a lot, but a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of giving people the cannibal tag, because getting it in play is sort of hard. You need to be starving and then eat your own people. And there's a few events, I think, where you can get it. But I want to get start people out with a cannibal tag so they can experience some of that story more easily. Another sort of weird idea is a convoy built around a specific, like there's one convoy built around a specific follower called the Hermit, um, which is basically a guy and his dog, and the dog is really OP, but you only have the dog in the beginning. Um, <laughs> and it's, he it has a bunch of sort of weirdness, uh, but it's a really fun convoy. And then the, sort of the idea for this, this new convoy would be sort of a pacifist, and this is another sort of unique follower that you put him on the board, and he doesn't attack, but he has a lot of health, and every turn he gains more health. And if he, you start your turn with the guy having more health than the enemy leader, the enemy leader sort of surrenders. So you don't have to kill them. Cool. Are, are and you it sounds civ- like a really fun sort of dynamic I want to sort of play around with. Are you a civilization player? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it takes too long. <laughs> I, I ask because uh, I, the, the variability in different factions that you're coming up with uh, reminds me a lot of uh, the different countries and leaders you can choose can really change your objectives there too so it i i liked how you're thinking about how you expand on that yeah one of the criticisms like i really read the criticism i get on the game like one of the criticisms i read not a lot but sometimes is that the convoys all feel a little bit too similar not in the sense that they're, they they specifically feel similar but the the hermit stands out as being this very different convoy he has got one unit he can only have card a deck size of 15 he's sort of very leader focused he sort of you know, plays more within the design space and the card space and makes something more... He, he takes, like, three steps away from all the other convoys, which makes him a really interesting convoy. And I would like to sort of pull all the convoys apart a bit, give them all sort of a more distinct identity, because I was a little surprised by the way they're received. Because for me, they were just like, the leader is important, and the convoy is just this little tiny nugget of flavor in your starting deck, and that's it. But people sort of latch on to the converse a lot more and to sort of the story of them, which is very, very small. And I think sort of strengthening their individual identities would be really cool and provide for more weird gameplay. But I, I'm not sure I want to change the existing content too much. So if I if I do a new converse, I want to make them a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, say, one converse that has Cannibal and gets, like, some bonus if you kill people, but has some huge downside. <laughs> I don't know, maybe they get, they, they, I'm, I'm just spitballing right now. Maybe they need a lot more food to travel, mm-hmm. uh, but whenever you win a fight, you get extra food. Or whenever you destroy a follower, it doesn't matter which side, you gain some food. Yeah. I, I, yeah, my, my mind's churning about how a cannibal class would work or how you could sort of uh, tweak or twist conventions of your game <laughs> to, yeah. to change how you play in that class. Uh, so... Martin, we could probably talk to you forever about uh, Nowhere Profit. I know Denny and I have both been having a really good time with it. But I, uh, before we end our call here, I, I would like to maybe ask a couple of questions about you personally. Uh, so uh, one that came to my head is, uh, besides video games, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, role-playing games. <laughs> 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 um, I, I, I don't know what that, people that, like to do for fun. 
Death Flex uh, is a different I, muscle, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it, it does. Um, I don't know. I I spend a lot of time actually developing games, and that sort of eats into into a lot of my time budget. But I like I like games in general. I like card games. I said I sort of gotten back into Paper Magic, which is really awesome. I'm building a goblin deck right now, and I'm loving it. My my sort of twelve year old self tried to build a goblin deck and failed. Now I'm gonna do it. Um, <laughs> I love games of all kinds. I don't know. Have you? gotten into magic the gathering online uh i've played some arena yeah uh, arena that's right okay be be careful you can really get lost in that <laughs> yeah but not really because it sort of has the same problems that online cards have yeah of sort of being this huge world with a lot of people but it has sort of like this overturned deck that i'm just sort of bored at bored of mm. but in my sort of local meta we just have you know semi-casual decks that can work but are not super super optimized and that's fun for me just playing some kitchen table magic and that's cool sure um, uh, besides that i also i try to sketch and draw um i don't do mm-hmm. it enough um and do make some music and play the guitar very cool very cool to go back to video games though what are you currently playing all right so the the, the one thing i still sort of play on the regular is destiny 2 Oh, me too. <laughs> I, I, I was raised on shooters. They're still sort of my go-to genre when it comes to, all right, turn off your head. And Destiny just... I've been playing since Destiny 1. Yeah. And it just is very familiar. There's always some nice grind to do. And headshotting aliens is just so damn satisfying. How do you feel about the bow? I think the bows are fun. I think they're not effective in a lot of the content. Yeah. Um, but they're fun. Like, I, I sometimes run strikes with a bow equipped just the funny crispy headshots i've tried a bow in pvp i'm not a super pvp player i'm, I'm decent and i feel like it it's sort of good because you can pre-charge the bow step out and instantly do a bunch of damage but since it's not a one-shot kill it's sort of then you need to switch back because the second draw takes you way too long and in a lot of the pve content the bow deals more damage than sort of small ads have health it's yeah. this weird in-between spot so that i'd rather have sort of something smaller and quicker auto rifles is where it's at auto rifles yep. fusion rifles and machine guns. That's that's my go-to loadout. I like to go with pulse rifles, but I uh, recently yeah, I've got a good one now too. On, in the crucible, pulse rifles are better. The wish ender with some of my friends. So I definitely like that for PvP. It's the bow that sees through walls. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't have it yet. I've got the quest lined up. I need to wait for the next curse week to to grab it. Okay, well that's exciting for me. I got, I got really happy there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's probably a good place to uh, start closing the loop here. I, I guess, Martin, uh, before we uh, sign off here, uh, where can people find you? Um, they can find the game at www.nowhere.com. Um, they can find me at www.sharkbombs.com, or rather, the studio, which is mostly just me. And they can find me at www.rde, which narrow car nobody can spell, so good luck with that. <laughs> We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Well, uh, Martin, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for making time out of your schedule. I'm sure you're still pretty busy with trying to uh, work on changes or updates that you have in mind for the project. Uh, everybody, the game is called Nowhere Profit. Martin, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you.
Alright, that'll be it for this week's Super GG Radio bonus edition. Uh, before you go, you can find us on Twitter at Super GG Radio, twitch.tv slash Super GG Radio. Harwood is going to continue on his Metal Gear Solid streams. Uh, he's slowly but surely making progress. Uh, by now, when you've heard this, I'm going to be starting up a weekly thing where I play 2D platformers or old school games, sometimes with Kelly, and we'll see how long it takes to make her break. Uh, <laughs> uh, but other than that, uh, no other plans, and we'll just see you next episode. Thanks.